Well, hey, everybody, it's Jay Strother and Brian Ball back for hard to believe, but our final Wednesday of kind of our regular semester gathering of Coffeehouse Theology. We had to pivot, of course, several weeks ago to doing this as a podcast, so we have missed seeing you on Wednesday. But again, we're grateful for the feedback, questions, uh, observations that you guys have been making, and uh, wanted to give you some programming notes. Usually at this point, we kind of shut down for the summer. Uh, we pick up with focus studies, other things, but since we're going all the way through the Bible, Brian and I have the dogged determination uh, to go all the way through the Bible. Uh, but what that means is we're going to, we are going to change to kind of uh, coffeehouse theology light for the summer um, because uh, with just the different rhythms, uh, we, we want to change it up, but we also want to help you uh, navigate these passages of scripture. So uh, we are going to be going to every other week or so, uh, don't hold us to that uh, legalistically, but about every other week. So two weeks from now, uh, we'll come back with about a 30-minute podcast, probably. We're just going to hit the really, really high points, kind of give you a framework uh, for each of the books of the Bible, uh, and uh, and we'll work through some key passages, favorite passages, those kind of things. But we won't try to cover it all, but at least, hopefully, it will help you stay motivated. It helps us stay on point as well uh, before we come back in August. And hopefully, we'll be able to gather in person by then. We don't know yet, but... Uh, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, as they and say the corona in Alabama. don't come back, right? <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Um, and so we are glad you're with us. It's Wednesday, May the 13th. Uh, we are going to wrap up the book of Samuel. Originally, Samuel was just one book. Uh, and, uh, and so we're, we're in the final uh, home stretch here uh, in Kings and Prophets Part 5. And uh, we are in Act 2, God's Covenant People, Scene 5, the Kings and Prophet. God is shaping a kingdom people. So uh, today, uh, we... Last week, we kind of came to the high point of the story of David and his his kingship. And this week, uh, we, we take a drastically different turn. So let me pray for us, and we will jump in. Uh, Father, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for these words in particular uh, that show us, teach us valuable lessons uh, about how a man after your own heart can still fail and fall uh, and yet be made whole again in you, uh, not because he's perfect, but because uh, of who you are as God. So God, would you teach us? Um, would you uh, lead us from temptation, God, today? And uh, would we listen attentively and carefully uh, to these words? And so it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Brian, how we do? doing this week? Doing great. How you doing? All right. Shout out to Brian. He's been a huge help to me as we've had to pivot uh, with our Sunday experiences to, to keep us on track on Wednesday. So Brian, thank you for all your hard work. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for thanks for letting me teach this stuff. I know a, this is a uh, these are deep deep waters, and so it's it's fun. You as you and I actually say this is kind of what you and I sit around and talk about a lot of times. Is is this is, is this level and this type of scripture and what we do? This is just kind of giving us a prescribed set to go over. And uh, we are going to be clear. We're going to start off in chapter 11 and go through 24. We're going to close out second second Samuel this week. And we're going to dive course, right in with how to ruin your life 101 quickly. And uh, it's it's a quick quick ride down. It's a quick ride down, and it's amazing. And we'll talk about this. Let, let, let's go ahead and read the scripture, then we can go into to where we are. So we're going to read the story of David Matthew. I realize this is familiar to a lot of people, but I want to want to reiterate what scripture says, and then we'll talk about some of the things we can draw out of it. So in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, a woman who was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And he and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? 
So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next, and David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of the Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him, that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the city of, and the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting. And he instructed the messenger, When you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger rises, and if he says to you, Why did you go so near to the city to fight? Did you not know they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jerizabel? Then, but did not a woman cast an upper, an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go so near to the wall? Then you shall say, Your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, The men are gaining an advantage over us and came out against us in the field, but we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. David said to the messenger, Thus shall you say to Joab, Do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, and encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Yikes. Yes. Yikes. Right, and it starts off. We 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 see that David was not where he was supposed to be. That's right. Right, it was spring when kings go out to battle, and David sent Joab. Right, he was still in it, still in his castle. David remained in Jerusalem, and so he wasn't where he was supposed to be. Right. Um, it, it's amazing how this how this how this temptation kind of came over him. We we see in the notes, right? David was successful and powerful. And at this point, he seemed to be feeling pretty self-sufficient, right? He didn't even have to go to battle. He could just send his men to battle. That's right. He right? just won a major victory, yep. as we talked about last week. Uh, you know, he had, he had done all of these things. He had conquered Jerusalem now. Uh, he was king over the whole, whole, you know, both Israel and Judah. Uh, he had all of these accomplishments. And yet we get this sense, right, that, that David compromised in a weak spot. 
Right. If, if we go back to, to some of last week's reading, we find in chapter 5, verse 12, David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of the people of Israel. Right. But the very next verse says, And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron. Yeah, not, not and good, so man. that's what the kings of the other cultures did, right? right? So I've, I've, I've now you know, established my capital. I'm winning, so I'm increasing my household right. uh, you know, in those days, which was a sign of power. What does it say, Brian, in your favorite book, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 17? 17 right? Right? You should not take many wives and concubines. For they will do what? They will lead you astray. Turn his heart from the Lord. That's right. Lest his heart turn away. Right. So, you know, and so, so it's very clear that, that God warned kings specifically, don't take wives and concubines because they will turn your heart away. And we're only going to see that sin, of course, writ large in the life of, 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 the, of his David's son Solomon later as well. But this establishes a pattern, right, right of an area of weakness in, in David's life. So even though man after God's own heart, as we've said repeatedly, lots of great qualities and characters, the way he honored uh, Saul's descendants, the way he loved Mephibosheth and welcomed him to the table last week, all of these good things. But, but there are chinks in the armor, aren't there, Brian, for every leader? Well, and there are chinks in the armor for all of us. But in particular, and it's particularly obvious in our, in our leaders. I yeah. mean, and you see this, right? David was really disappointed engaged. Yep. Right? He wasn't he wasn't going out to war. Yep. He wasn't going out where where he was. Right? Instead of reviewing the troops, he was reviewing the cute girl from his from his rooftop. That's right. And I've actually been there in Israel to wow. the city of David. That's one of the, the key areas of excavation right now. And it's on the side of the mount, Mount Moriah, that becomes the Temple Mount, of course, here in the the, 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 the narrative of the story. And so what's interesting is you can stand there today and see loads of rooftops, these flat rooftops. Uh, in the valley, and so you, it's easy to see wow. how a wandering mind, right, could look out there and and be enticed at what he saw. That's right. That's right. You love the J.D. Greer quote, right? The the way to successfully resist the enticements of this world isn't merely to have a strong will to say no; it's to be busy with a higher purpose. Right? For many people, their lives are so empty, so pointless, so devoid of something more than the excitement that sex promises of uh, that of sex promises of fulfillment that they desperately crave. It's not just that sin is incredibly alluring, which it is, but so often that we are also so incredibly bored. Yeah. Right? David had a job to do. He did. Right? David had, David had some place to be and something to be doing, and he disregarded it. That's right. And so he was just hanging out, kind of looking for something yep. to do. So when I was youth minister, I, I got tired after all these camps and retreats of always having to come up with like some complex set of rules. Right. So I developed what I called the fi- the five the big five proverbs, right? And we lived by them every time. You know, it's things like listen and show respect. And but number five, and I always stress this one, right? Was be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there, doing you're what you're supposed to be doing. doing. So with a bunch of teenagers, I was trying to impress this upon them, right? Right. If you want to stay out of trouble and not get sent home from retreat or camp, right? Be where you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to be doing when you're supposed to be there. Mm -hmm. And so David violates, right, that most simple of principle in a sense in that God had given him a job. And he's like, "Ah, I got this. I I have time for leisure. And and to Greer's point, boredom. Right. Like a lot of our people, because they're not living, you know, lives of adventure, pursuing God's plan and purpose for them then they fall into a lesser story right. and they look for something else to, to, to appeal to that appetite that I believe God put in us Absolutely. for our life to have meaning and Absolutely. worth and value. Absolutely. And that's what he, right, our, our meaning, right? Meaningless doesn't, meaningless doesn't come from tiring of pain, but from tiring of pleasure. Yeah. 
Right. That, that's the root of meaninglessness. And that's so profound for an affluent society like we live in now. Oh, it's, it's staggering. And, and the, just the, you know, not even just Williamson County, but the West, right? I mean, yeah, we are such an affluent society, that, and, but we see our stars, the people that have everything, per se, and they kill themselves. That's right. right. Or they end up in just unbelievably destructive ba- behavior patterns. And that's because that's where, right, they thought this was what would give them meaning, yeah. right? All the adoration, all the money, all the, right, all the power. Yeah. And as it turns out, none of that means anything without the Lord. Yeah. And the other danger that comes when you're kind of at the top of your game is you, you end up in this position where you are pretty unaccountable. Right. And that happened to David, right? I mean, he, he and that's one of the things you provided as a youth camp, right? I mean, in God's grace, they put you counselors and, and people to have authority. But, you know, there's really nobody to challenge him. That's right. He, and even the people around you at that point be kind of, can be kind of yes men, right? right? They want to get close to you for power. So they're not going to confront you. They're not going to challenge you unless they're, they're deeply, deeply spiritual people who you have a, a deep relationship with. But, you know, Brian, we have seen, you know, uh, and it's, the pandemic has kind of taken the spotlight off of it, but in churches, ministries, pastors, uh, we have seen a repeated pattern of, of fall, right. of the falling of, of many of these lead, spiritual leaders in the past several years, kind of a reckoning, so to speak, uh, in the, the quote, Christian celebrity, you know, culture, which is a oxymoron if there ever was one, but <laughs> it's, it's true all the same. And, and the common thread, as I've read the stories, as, I, as I've talked to some people who are at these churches, was a lack of accountability. Right. You know, most of these churches had other staff and elders and, you know, deacons and people in place, but but the pastor had so much influence, you know, they were so well-known, they were authors and speakers, and that, that instead of having good, wise counsel around them, there's a total lack of accountability. So so that's a red flag, and at this point, David is as at that point in his career. That's exactly right, and we all need that, right? I, I have three men in my life that can speak, ask any question, and speak whatever they need to speak into my life to hold me accountable. That's right. You know, we, we all need those things, or we will all, you know, we're God's grace away from all of this stuff. As yeah. horrible as the things we're getting ready to see over the next you know, 10, 11, 12 chapters, that's right. we are all God's grace away from doing yeah. this stuff. And then we see, right, David was tempted. Okay, and it was not sin for him to see Bathsheba, right. right? When he's walking on the roof, what was sin was his heart toward her. Mm-hmm. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. That's shocking, right? right. That we were going, that we're yeah. teaching through that now. Yeah, that, if, you know. if you see a woman, right, and you lust after her, then you've already committed, committed the act. You've crossed right. that line in your mind, and clearly that's what what David did. Instead of turning and looking away, and said, oh, "I got to get back to business." Instead, he allowed those thoughts, you know, to to produce fantasies, and that fantasy then produced, you know, the, the sin. Right. Well, he blew past stop signs. Absolutely. Right? I mean, there were so many places where you know where you could find a check. Yeah. Right. He had to send somebody to go get her. Yep. Right? One of the, I love the old preacher saying, "If you see the devil hitchhiking, don't stop, <laughs> stop to pick him up, <laughs> because sooner or later he's gonna want to drive." Yeah, and, and you're gonna let him. That's and exactly you're gonna right. let him. I mean, that's that's the tragedy of all this stuff, right? That, that and and as you keep blowing past these warning signs of you know, he knew why she was bathing. Yeah, if you really slow down and and you know you, you walk through through the the passage, you'll see you know that that there there were questions asked, you know right. that there were people trying to you know God was trying to help him see this situation, but he he kept moving. Well, and 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 you know he had disordered loves. That's right. right. He put his he put his lust above God's desire for him and God's desire for Bathsheba. Sometimes we forget that you know, the other people in the narrative, just because their narrative's not in Scripture, the Lord was working in them. 
The Lord yes. was working for and through them. And so God had a plan for Bathsheba. It just wasn't in Scripture. And so David's D- David's lust, right, overtook all of those yeah. things. Yeah, the granddaughter of a trusted advisor. She's right. the daughter of one of your best mm-hmm. soldiers and fighters. Uh, the wife, wife of one of your inner circle of protectors. Right. I mean, what? What? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't. I, I don't know how. Right. How that and again. And and it's disordered love on so many levels. Yeah. Well, when that becomes distorted, when you when your loves are out of order, then everything right, right. becomes distorted in your right. life as well. Well, to seek first the kingdom of God. Yes. Right. Have, have your love be for God and his kingdom. Then everything else is going to fall into place. Right. And without that. And that was clearly not here. Right. And so David was given ingenuity. Right. Yeah. Genius. I mean, David he, he was a good leader. He, he knew how to arrange things and situations. And unfortunately, he uses that here for devious purposes. That's right. That's right. And to cover up his sin. And Uriah is so noble. Right. The, one of the other great tragedies of this is, I mean, he gets Uriah drunk. Yeah. And he still won't go. Yeah. Won't go. The, con- it's a, the it, contrast is painful. Right. I mean, of of a faithful and uh, and a and a and it's uh, you know I don't know if ironic. It's 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 a blind faith in his following. Right. Yeah. Uriah is going to do the right thing. He didn't care what David was trying to do. Yeah. He wasn't even to the degree he wasn't even trying to look for David to try to do something. Yeah. Right. He knew because he you most of the time in battle in the ancient Near East you would abstain from sex because it made you unclean. And so you as a unit, you as a military unit would abstain from that. And right. that's what he was doing was showing solidarity with his men, yeah. solidarity with, his, with the people who were fighting. Um, and David, he, he might have convinced himself and gotten away with it. Yeah. Right? Except that, that last little verse there that says, but the thing that David had done yeah. displeased That's where my kids would always go, dun, dun, dun. 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 <laughs> right? A little, little melodramatic, but yeah. that, that, that is the signal to us that yeah. – uh, you know that that you know that this God, God we we may think we get away with it, but God always sees. Right. Well, and and this is a really different David than we've seen up till now. Right. Right. And that's and that's you love the Eugene Peterson quote. Right. We aren't prepared for such a David. What begins as a lustful whim develops in, into an enormous sex and murder crime. How does such sin happen? As with most sins, gradually and unobtrusively. The narrator skillfully draws us into an understanding of what's going on with the subtle repetition of a seemingly amoral word, send. We gradually realize in this context it's not a morally neutral word at all. It signals the impersonal exercise of power. By following the use of the verb, we can trace David's descent from love and obedience into calculation and cruelty. Eugene Peterson always has a way with words yeah. and uh, being a student of the word. Yeah, look at all the And David sent and inquired about the woman. Right. So David sent messengers and took her. Right. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah. <laughs> I never noticed that before Peterson pointed it out. Yeah. That's such a great point. Uh, and again, it, it connects with that idea of David being unaccountable and having kind of you know total power at this point. That's right. Is that he was using these things instead of to serve God, to serve his own purpose and right. to serve himself and his own own lust and desires. Well, and you look at Joab, who obviously has an understanding of how poor the military tactic David has commanded him to do. Right. Because right? he said, when you tell him what happened, he's going to be angry. Joab right. already said, look, you know, I get what happened. He's going to be mad. And when he's mad, you tell him. Yeah. Right, that Uriah the Hittite is dead, and he'll know what that means. Right, He's, he was sending back a code of the reason all this stuff happened yep. was your orders, not mine. Yep. 
And so that was it was very interesting to watch Joab. And Joab's pretty pretty defensive. We've watched Joab's action in the past. Yeah. We're getting ready to see Joab's action. As yeah, he was a savvy, might be the word for yes. it, as a leader. Yes, he was very savvy and, and understood a greater context than what than what's generally around him, right? And the John Owen quote, of course, right? Be killing sin or it'll be killing you. Yeah, those Puritan pastors have a way of putting it straight. <laughs> mortification. I love the birth the of mortification. mortification of sin. I don't know that that book would be a bestseller today, but I, it's, it's yeah. a classic, and I'm, yeah. I'm grateful for it. Yeah, you do want to read it with a mouthpiece. <laughs> you do, True that. You do want to read Steel it with a mouthpiece. Steel-toed shoes. Yeah, that, that, yeah, it's kind of like, yeah. Steel-toed shoes, absolutely. All right, let's, let's read. So, so Nathan, right, the Lord sent Nathan to David. So let's read the first part of chapter 12. He came to him, and he came and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but a little new lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and he grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. So good. Oh. So so powerful, you know, that God knew exactly the word that David needed, what would kind of sneak past his defenses, right. you know, and to grab his heart that, again, you know, was given to him by God, his, his desire for justice, right. you know, and so that grips him until, you know, the, those convicting words, you, you are the man. And it's easy for us, Brian, to stand off at a distance and say, yeah, you get him, Nathan. Right. And then we realize that that's us. Yeah, we, that's, we are that man, too. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, and you have to be careful how you criticize a king, right? Because it's the power of life and death. He can, he can point at you and you will die. Yeah. And so the other side of Nathan is, is this is this is a very clever and astute way to yes. present a criticism of a king. And, and, we, and we in our culture have to sometimes believe, because we like direct, especially being Americans, like yeah. direct confrontation, right? right? Sure. The John Wayne, pull out your six-shooter kind of thing. Yeah. And there are often other ways the Lord works. Yeah, yeah. Right. Spirit's wisdom at work here through, through Nathan, for sure. Exactly. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. And because you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will rise up evil against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Mm. Then Nathan went to his house. Yeah. Right? 
So, so now Nathan, right, he uses that skill to draw the, draw the, um, outrage out of out of David right and turn him toward him but then the gospel focus right you are the man yeah oh, there's right? so much here you're you know you are the sinner yes right and and that's what the gospel right the gospel is not about a cultural sin or a collective sin it's about our personal sin too yeah right and it's and it's a personal salvation and we have to recognize that personal sinfulness that that I am that as you said I am that man yep. right I am that same sinful man that this grows out of uh, another Peterson, right? The gospel is never just about somebody else. It's always about you, about me. The gospel is never truth in general. It's always a truth in specific. Yeah. I mean, it's about our specific sin, our specific need for a Savior. Yeah. Our temptation is to always try to keep it at an arm's length, right. you know, but but the story, you know, is, is just so convicting on so many levels because right. it's it's our story too. That's right. Uh, and, you know, and, and as we share the gospel with people in our in our era, that's in our gospel conversations, that's one of the, the hardest things for people to admit you know, is that they are a sinner in need of a savior. There's so much pride. There's so much victimization in our culture. There's so many layers to that, that for someone to really admit, right, I am that man, that that's, that's, that's a difficult thing for them to do. When you think about the current cultural narrative, like with the Michael Jordan, uh, the last Documentary. documentary, and you see, you know, all the be like Mike, right? If you can just be like Mike, It'll be okay, right? Because Mike has everything together, and and now that you kind of see behind the curtains, yeah. right? You see, you see the much less appealing characteristics of it. That's right. The the price that he paid as a human being yeah. to do some of the things that he did. Yes. And we and we have to be we have to step back and go is is that what God would call for? Yeah. Is that the way God would call these things to be? Yeah. Done? So before you want to be like Dave, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. be, is, well, but that's what's so cool, right? Is 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 even a man after God's own heart is shown for his flaws. Mm-hmm. Even somebody as great as Moses, even someone as yeah. great as Abraham, are shown for their flaws, yeah. and so that people like you and me and, and right can can come to Jesus and know that we can serve the kingdom, that the Spirit can work in and through us, even though we're flawed men. That's right. right? Even though we're sinful men, even and we try to cover it up. Yeah, absolutely try to cover yeah. it up. Right? We and we may not use right you know, battle plots, but we we have equally sophisticated designs, absolutely. and webs that we weave to try and cover up our sin, or at least excuse it away. That's right. Justify it, explain it away, all of those things. But, you know, again, the turning point of this is David does admit, I have sinned against the Lord. That's right. Like he recognizes. That's right. Of course he'd sinned against Uriah, sinned against Bathsheba, you know, but but he, he correctly identifies, you know, first and foremost, I have sinned against my God. Right. And I, that I don't know that we teach, even within the church, to, to look at our sin that way. Right, we tend to look at the moral consequences or the worldly consequences yeah. of sin, but rarely do we look at how it breaks God's heart. Yeah, the, uh, of how of how what we do, and that should be our first thought. Right, when, when we sin is is the crushing weight yeah. of God's disappointment. Yeah, and as we're reading through the Bible chronologically, don't forget to go to Psalm fifty-one. Right, <laughs> at some point in right. your studying of this, and just and read that prayer of repentance, you yeah. know, on David's heart, yeah. um, because you know I think it's a prayer that we we all can resonate with. Create in me a clean heart, heart, God, and renew a right spirit within me. Uh, have mercy on me, God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. Um, one of the most beautiful, oh. you know, powerful psalms, songs, poems, whatever you want to call it, ever written. Right. Well, just most beautiful literature. And then the fact that that literature is God-inspired, God-breathing, God-focused, yeah. right, and turns, and, and he uses beautiful prose to turn our hearts to him. Yeah. 
And that's just, that's remarkable. Just, just remarkable. And to your point, you know, the power of the gospel, the Lord, Nathan tells David has put away your sin. You shall not die. Praise God. Because that's what we all deserve is death. That's right. Especially, and especially specifically for these actions. Yeah. Right. Specifically for these actions. Yeah. And, you know, it, but, but there's still consequences. That's right. And we, 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 what we always like is, wow, okay, so God's forgiven me, so yeah. now we're clean. Yeah. And clean. We, we want justice <laughs> for everybody else and grace, grace for and us. mercy for us. Right. Always. Right. But, and, and what's, what's, what's disheartening to some extent, right, is that it doesn't just affect us. Right, our our sin affects those around. Right, the moral consequences, the pain and suffering. Yeah. Right. Follow David. Yep. Follow his children. Follow those people around him. And so that consequence of playing God just resonates. Yep. Right. Resonates through the, the rest sword of his life. shall never depart from your house. And we see that in spades, don't yeah. we? The, yeah. And you spades. just wonder how many times David, you know, had to look at the situations that were happening in his own household and just go back to those words, you know, that flash back to, to that to that moment. Right. Well, and you, that's probably, you know, at least, and we don't know this, but somewhere in, in my thinking, that's that's the only expression he had at those times were his psalms. The only expressions he had was to was to go back and and in prose, in song, in in poetry. Write out the, his heart. Yeah. Write out what he sees. Write out what he knows to be true. Yeah, Psalm sixty-two, eight. Pour out your heart to God at all times, and that's how David David dealt with it and coped. Uh, and I mentioned this, you know, uh, in my sermon a couple of weeks ago, but I'll, I'll give this quote again because it's just it's on point. Sin will always take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. That's right. I mean, and you just read the consequences of what what David and his household were going to deal with here, and you think sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And really, Brian, that that's the story of what we see in the coming chapters. That's exactly right. That's that's from from here from here until chapter twenty one is narrative. Yeah, this is the, the story of David's family. What all is going to happen? And we're going to go through this pretty quickly. But then twenty two through twenty four is an appendix. And it's really I, I always group twenty two to twenty four with the Psalms that he wrote this yeah. time because it, it gives us a, a an insight that what what the history kind of gives us is into the the actions and the history. And then twenty two through twenty four in the Psalms show its heart. Yeah. And I, and I think that's a good a, a good contrast to take those things in that kind of context. And so the first thing we see right is his child dies. Yeah. David's child dies. And David appeals to the Lord, right? He, he goes through while he's actually mourning while the child is alive. Yeah. Right? Going through the actions of mourning while the child is alive. Mm-hmm. And then when the child is dead, he cleans himself up. And his servants are kind of perplexed. Yeah. They, they, they're, they're, you know, why, why? And David said, look, while my child was still alive, there was a chance the Lord will relent. Yeah. And, and pastoral note here to verse 23, uh, where David says, you know, now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Uh, that's one of the key texts that we have in the Bible for what happens to a, a young child who dies. Right. Um, you know, that David clearly here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is noting that he will go to him, right. meaning that that child is in the presence of the father. Right. Um, and so the heavenly father. And so for us, there, there's comfort in that. I believe there was comfort in, in even David's deep, deep grief over losing this child of knowing that despite my sin, right, this, this child is, is, is in the protection of God. Right. Um, and so, you know, for those who have lost children to miscarriage, who have lost, lost infants, this, this verse is, is 
just brought a lot of comfort, uh, you know, on a personal level as well. And then there's a restoration, right? Solomon's birth. Now, Solomon was probably the, you know, probably third or fourth child from if we go over to Chronicles, right? There right. were several children by Bathsheba. Uh, but but he's obviously brought in here because of his historical significance in the narrative. Yes. Um, and so, you know, and even Nathan the prophet comes in. And then finally, David goes out to war. Right. And Joab has to coax him out. Yeah. The, the, the really sad part is Joab comes back and says, yep. look, I've, I've fought to this point. I'm getting ready to take this out. Yep. And if you let me take this out, it, they're going to raise my name and not yours. Yeah. But it goes back to the astuteness of Joab. Again, yep. Joab's astuteness is always not in a positive direction. Right, right. Okay? But he is very – as you watch his, his earthly wisdom, yeah. he's very wise as to how but, things work. But this work. is the friend who comes to you and says, come on, man. Like we, we, we uh, like, let's go. Like you got it. You got it. You got to get up. We got to get moving. Let's, let's take a step. Let's, you know, let's, let's do what we do. Let's, let's, let's get back to some, some pattern of, of who, who we know you to be. Right. And he, and he calls that out again and again, as we, as we continue to go through here. All right. And so, uh, you know, like I say, we, we, we're going to see this sin play out. We're going to see – and these are hard things to talk about, right? Amnon's sure. rape of Tamar. Yeah. Uh, Absalom's murder of Amnon, right? Yep. His eventual leading of a rebellion against right, – Israel wanted a king, and now they want a different king. Yep. Right? What a – just crazy stuff. But what we're going to see is that in the prophecy of the sword shall never lead, lead – shall never depart from your house. Come to call. Yeah. Right? It's just, it's just going to come to call. So, uh, right, first, um, in chapter 13, right, Jonadab, which is David's nephew, and he was the clever clever one, right, helps David's son Amnon uh, plot to rape David's daughter of a different mother, Tamar, yep. which is just I, – I, I, I just don't have words. Yeah. I, I, you know, how, how, you know, yeah. More, morally inexcusable. In, on so many levels. On, on, on so many – and clearly prohibited by the Torah in right. several places. And it helps us to understand that the whole Me Too movement thing, right, <laughs> right. is not anything new. Right. I mean it's, this, this has been happening, and the, and the Bible is honest about it, right? And, yeah. and, and, and the, the even greater sin is after he rapes her, he, because the Bible says, okay, you pay 50 shekels to her father and you take her as your wife. He puts her out. That's right. And she says, you know, this is a, this is a greater yeah. sin than before. Yeah, it's the total objectification, right, of a woman in using her and then discarding her. Right. Yeah, his, his, and his love turns to hate. Mm. It's powerful. Love turns to hate. And, and, you know, there's so many entrapments, but we see the world do that to uh, us all the time. That's idolatry just, of any form. Exactly. Right? We love something until we get it, and right. then it can't deliver on what it promised. Right. So then we hate it. We despise it. Well, and it's also the way the idols treat us. That's right. You know, they'll seem to love us and love us and love us, and then when it comes to the end, right? We're they, discarded. They, we are discarded, and we see that time and again, right? So Absalom, Tamar's brother, takes her in. Uh, but when David hears of Amnon's doing, he's angered but does nothing. Hmm. What a poor, poor, poor leadership from a king, yeah. poor leadership from yeah. a dad. Yep. Right, poor leadership from a from a theological figure, yeah. from a priestly figure. Yeah, it's a failure on every level. But that's what your sin does to you. Right, it leaves you in guilt and shame. Right. A couple of years ago, we had David Platt come share here um, uh, when he was president of the International Mission Board about the great need for missionaries. And the IMB was having something like six women apply for every one young man who were, who were applying overseas. And as they pressed into it, as they interviewed some of these young men, they began to realize the addiction to pornography and their sexual exploits were holding them back in guilt and shame from pursuing missionary appointments. Wow. 
just an example, right? When you, you feel that the weight of guilt and shame, then it keeps you from what you know to be right, what God has called you to do, wow. because you feel unworthy, you feel unclean, you feel like, well, you know, well, how, I've messed up, so who am I to step into this situation? Well, David, you're the king. Right. You know, you're <laughs> David, the dad. David, you're the dad. Right. You know, I mean, on so many levels, right. like you said. Right. And so that's just an important reminder to us. Again, you know, we think about the immediate consequences of sin, right? Don't just affect us, affect others, but they also uh, affect long-term, right, the trajectory uh, of, of our lives. And mm-hmm. God has, so, has wired us in such a way that he's created us for a plan and a purpose. And sin threatens to derail us, you know, for an extended period of time. Well, and the reminder, right, the accuser, right? That's why Satan's the accuser. It's and, and, and it's those And it's those accusations yeah. that come back in your head. That's right. Those accusations that come back, and that's, that's almost got to be at play here with David. I agree. Right, that, that, that those accusations come back. And so Absalom's hate for Amnon burned. Right. I mean, this, the, you know, I'm, yep. I'm sure Absalom was, was, and while probably, it was, we'll see, he's not the most patient of, of people. No, he's but, a hothead for but, sure. But he, I, it seems like he was waiting for David's judgment to come. And when it didn't, and it's, the other thing that's amazing is we watch the time frames in these things. He waits a couple of years. Mm-hmm. You know, we think of it, you know, we, we get tired waiting those endless seconds for our popcorn in the microwave. Right. Right. And, the, yeah. and you watch the patients. And when you think about our, our culture, cultural dealings now, when we deal with the Middle East, they deal with generations. Yeah. Right. And we deal with seconds. Yeah. And just seeing that different mindset, that different time scale. Yeah. That, you know, but it's things. also how anger, right, resentment oh, I, builds. Yeah, it sits right? and it simmers. Yeah, yeah, it's simmering. It's just – it's burning beneath the surface. Yeah, it really is. It really is. So after a couple of years, right, Absalom invites his brothers, including Amnon, out because they're going to celebrate the, the shearing. That's a time of celebration. And so the brothers come out, and, uh, and Absalom gets Amnon drunk and has his servants kill him. And the other, sin, other sons scatter. But then David hears that all of his sons are killed and so goes into great mourning. But Jonadab, the, the clever one, right. Right, clarifies that only Amnon has been killed and explains that this was done, explains why it was done. And so Absalom flees to Gesher. And Gesher was the home of his mom. So he was going back to his people. He knew he, he, knew he had done something that would upset David. Right. And so he goes, goes back to the region, basically his home region. Yeah. And so David's other sons come home, and they mourn Amnon. But you can see in David he's lost two sons. Yeah. Right. He's lost Amnon and he's lost Absalom. Yeah, at this point. Right. And again, you go back to the honor-shame culture, you know, yep. the honor killings that still exist, especially right. in places like the Middle East to this day. Yep. And that's exactly what this was. This was for the honor of his sister. For the honor of his sister. And so chapter 14 begins with Joab, again, trying to get David to be who he knows David to be yeah. again, right? So Joab hires a woman to perform that same kind of Nathan methodology of storytelling to get David to recognize to bring Absalom back home. And so David brings Absalom back home, but it's only a partial restoration, right? Right, just a partial restoration. And so Absalom grew frustrated. He's like, if, if you were just going to bring me home here to sit, I'd rather be yeah. back with Gesher with my mom's folks. And so he gets, tries to get Joab's attention to get a, an audience with David. And when Joab doesn't respond, he does what any of us would do. He sets Joab's fields on fire. <laughs> right. <laughs> to which Joab's like, you, know, you can just yeah. kind of imagine the, you know, in the modern day, it would be, dude. Right, what, right. What, in our era, you know, you'd go light somebody up on their social media, you know, or whatever. Right. But back then, they just set their fields on fire. Right. And so you're kind of going, what, what, you know, what on earth? And so, and so he gets his, his audience before David. Right? That's he, one way to do it. That, that's one way to, one way to do it. Um, it's, it's interesting to see David's almost personal design on family. 
as opposed to God's design for his family, mm, yeah. both in the partial restoration of Absalom, the lack of consequences for Amnon. You, you see that David seems to have some way – he kind of wants to hold the family together. That seems to be his notion, right? Yeah. It, un, under whatever circumstances are necessary, yeah. including disobedience to God. Mm. Right, including unfairness to his sons. Yeah. Again, is that guilt? I, I've got to try to, you know, whatever, keep the peace, try to hold this thing together because of what I've done. Right. And I can see my sin playing out, but, you know, so it's up to I me. I don't know to, what else to do about it. Right. So I'm going to bring him back, but he's not going to sit in my presence. I mean, come on, look yeah. at what he did. Yeah. To which, you know, Absalom's got to be going, well. Yep. <laughs> this family puts the fun in dysfunction, oh, don't man. they? This would make a great, as you, as you said, you, know, you really don't need anything on Netflix or, right? If you just made a movie out of this, yeah, this I, is just I, insane. Yeah. The people are, you know, the same. Do we watch the same superhero movie 4,000 times just with different characters? It's like, man, mind some of these stories in the Bible. Oh. Like, they're they're wild. Just phenomenal. So, of course, Absalom does what we would all do. He goes and sits at the gate for four years. <laughs> four years. Yeah. Drawing the hearts of the people of Israel yeah. away from away from their anointed prince. Yeah. Their anoint, and that, that's the key. But that's what Public sin, relations campaign. Right. But that's what sin does. Mm-hmm. Right? It little by little lures us away from what we know to be true. Yeah, it's good. Right? Little by little annoys, uh, allures us. That's a good observation. And that's what we see. And I love what you brought up, right? The preachers that were once faithful. We see preachers that were once faithful. I mean, you can go back to their sermons, right? Because we've got them recorded on the internet now. You can go back and hear faithful sermons from men who have gone completely apostate. Yeah, that's right. Completely apostate. And it's that lure of the world. And it and there was no you can't go back and mark one big step. What you mark is this time over time dripping simmering right that we talked about that draws their hearts away, draws them to to that faithlessness. Um, so then Absalom comes to David and asks permission to go to Hebron, right, which is where David's rule began, and, and to fulfill a vow. He said to the Lord for this, which was just made up, right. And so he sends off a secret message to say, when I get there, you know, everybody call out that Absalom is king. And and basically cashing in on the influence that he'd been building over those four years. That's right. And and the people are are fickle because as I, as I said earlier, yeah. right, the people asked for a king. Yeah. So the Lord gives them an anointed king. That's right. An anointed king, and they go, you know, we like this guy better. Yeah. And God's, I mean, God's got to be just kind of going, what, you Yeah. Well, he warned him. He knew <laughs> he it was did. coming, right? <laughs> right. But, but you and I have talked about this before. It always cracks me up that this is often referred to as the golden age right. of the monarchy right. of Israel. And it's like, there, there were moments, sure. you know, but man, for the most part, it is, it's a dumpster fire. <laughs> and layers of dumpster fires, That's right? Exactly and succeeding right. dumpster. Yeah, it continues a, to get other you know, talking about it. It's almost hard to keep up with. Right. Like, you got to read real carefully and almost chart it out the names and whose who's sister and whose brother and whose mom and who, you know, and he's of this tribe, you know, and again, it's all related to the fact that, you know, David took all these wives and concubines and, and now we're, we're seeing this inner family war play out. Well, and it becomes an inner people war, right? right? It goes beyond his family to the family yeah. to the family of the chosen people. Yeah, because you're you know it's like a ripple effect. It's right. going to start in your family, but but as king, the nation knew. Right, they they knew what David had done. Right. They you know that reputation gets out, and so in a way, I think it's more evidence that they lost confidence right. in David as a leader. That's right, and so many That's were swayed great. by Absalom. That's a fabulous. That's that's a fabulous observation. Yeah, so so David hears the conspiracy and free, f- flees Jerusalem. As, as any good, brave king would do. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, you know, again, 
yeah, anyway, we'll, 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 leave, we'll let that sit. And so Ittai the Gittite, a foreigner who has no reason to flee, David, David tells him, look, you, know, you don't, you just know, you are, you're new here, you're a foreigner, but he goes with David anyway. And we'll see, eventually becomes a valuable leader for David. Yeah. Um, Zadok, the, the priest, brings the ark out. But David tells him, Jerusalem is the home. I, and one, in among his more clear thought, thinking moments, he yeah. says the ark belongs in Jerusalem, not with David. Yeah. It's not David's ark. It's God's people, and it belongs in Jerusalem. And if the Lord wants me to see it again, then I'll be back. In, then he will establish me back in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. But you go back, because that's, that's where that, that deserves to be. Um, and so David hears that, and then David hears that his trusted advisor, Ahithophel, and Ahithophel, and I'm never going to say that right twice. That's pretty is, good. Thank you. Is the trusted worldly wisdom, he's, he's kind of a Joab on steroids, right? Yeah. He, he has the wisdom and he understands how to flat out get things done. And, and so when David hears that he's among the conspirators, he actually prays, this is the one time he calls out to the Lord. Doesn't, act, doesn't inquire. But calls out and says, make yeah. his make his counsel foolish. Yeah. And so Hushi comes up to David, who's David's friend. He says, you go serve in the court. Go serve in, in, in Absalom's court so that you can counteract Ahithophel's wisdom. And so David ends up meeting up with Ziba. And we remember Ziba was the attendant that, that took care of Mephibosheth, mm-hmm. the crippled son of, of Jonathan. And so Ziba provided David with provisions. He tells him, look, Mephibosheth remained in, in Jerusalem right. to receive the kingdom of his father. Right? That's, that's what the quote is, right? The kingdom of my father's so. And so David gives all that belonged to Mephibosheth to Ziba. And then Shimi comes out, right, as we go through our little narrative, right, he right. just starts cursing him. Yeah. Just starts cursing, throwing <laughs> stuff at him. I mean, that's a bold dude. Yeah. Okay, you got the mighty men of David and, right, this procession coming out. And he's standing there walking along, cursing and throwing stuff at him, right? Yeah. And you can only throw so far. Right. So, I mean, you're, you know, this is not like he's shooting mortars. I mean, this is a pretty personal thing. So one of the mighty men says, you know, let me go take care of this guy. And David says, and, and you love David's response, right? It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today, right? That this is not, this is something the Lord's calling him to do. And a lot of times we don't see judgment on us. We don't see those hard things when people are telling us yeah. things that are true because what, who she's saying or what, yeah, is, yeah, is, is true. Yeah. What she is saying is true, right? David deserves that cursing because he's done all kinds of crazy, yeah. sinful things. Yeah. And David knows that. And, and a lot of times we won't humbly accept that criticism. Right. Yes, I did that, but in the in the Lord's grace, that's not who I am. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And if the Lord should choose to restore that to me, then the Lord will restore that to me. But you know, yes, you're right in my sinfulness. And we often get defensive. And David is not defensive in this. And David is not defensive. Yeah. In this. So we're starting to see some signs, uh, you know, of David restoring his perspective. Right. Right. So Absalom comes up to Jerusalem, right? Hushi comes into his into his service, and uh, Absalom turns to Ahithophel of what to do. And Absalom and Ahithophel says, "Look, David's tired. Let's go. Let you give me some men, and we can finish this now. Yeah, we can finish this now." Um, and then and then Hushi comes and and gives the advice to wait and to assemble everybody and then go out. And what that gives him time to do is send messengers down to David. Right, and so David to protect himself, to get himself restored, to cross the Jordan, and so um, when Ahithophel recognizes that that the, that Absalom took Hushi's advice and not his, he goes out and hangs himself, mm-hmm. right, which are echoes of Judas, right. right, echoes of the traitor, yes, echoes of the traitor, 
And and so they the the messengers got to David. They retreat. They strengthen their provision. And then Chronicles eighteen is the is the or chapter eighteen is the battle between David of Absalom, which is fought in this forest. And it's interesting. It says that more men died from the forest devoured more men that day than the sword. Yeah. That must be some rough terrain. Yeah, uh, that no must doubt. be some rough so terrain. It's the forest of darkness, it's, or whatever exactly. you know. Yeah, when the, the tree, the when movies. the tree gets you, yeah. right? That's that's pretty harsh. That's some serious trees. Uh, but David's men defeat, right? Defeat uh, Absalom, and Absalom actually ends up. He's beautiful. One of the things they talked about was how beautiful he was, and he had the hair. And when they would shave it off each year, it would be five pounds of hair. He would grow each year, five pounds. And my son picked up on that last yeah, night. That, that is a lot of hair. About the Bible reading. That's a lot of hair. Locks of love. Uh, oh Hope man, yeah. That's send a, it in. It's almost a bowling ball. And so, right, but, but you know, his spectacular hair is what kind of does him in, right? He gets caught in a tree in, 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 in the forest and, and can't get down. And David's men under Joab's command come up on him. But David is given an order that, that you deal gently with, with Absalom. Right. You deal gently with him. But Joab, being the hothead, is having no part of that. Nope. Runs him through, has his armor bearers kill him, and then buries him in a pit, covers him with rocks. Right, almost as a almost as a, a symbol, right, a yeah. remembrance yeah. of of his of his of his being a traitor, of his rebellion, and so we see David. Right, this is a, this is an echo of David in Absalom, that that their pride is their downfall. Yeah, right. Absalom is going to do it his way. Mm-hmm. Right, I'm going to go take this over. I I know how to do this. Yeah, right. I'm clever. I can win the hearts of people. And his vanity is what got him caught. And that's just wild, right? I mean, li- literally, right? A literal his vanity literally got him. Got him going. And so David hears of Absalom's death from, from they send him runners back, and he goes into deep mourning. Mm-hmm. And chapter 19 open, opens in that mourning, that, that what he lost. But again, Joab comes to him and says, look, you're mourning more for a traitor than you are for your brave men who fought for you. And you've got to come to the gate. And so again, calling David to who he's supposed to be, yeah. the duty he is supposed to, to perform. And gets David to come, gets David to come to the gate, right? And so he, he honors, and, and then David sends a message of peace to Jerusalem, to the people that were with Absalom in Jerusalem. And so David returns to the city. So God is restored, right? He talked about, right. if I'm to see the ark again, then, yeah. then, then I'm, then I'm back. And so he meets a, uh, several people as he comes back in, right? Shimi, the guy that was cursing him, right? Does yell at him, I have this up picture says, of like this little wiry, <laughs> you know, fireball of a guy. <laughs> comes in, asks for forgiveness, right? And David, in, in grace, David forgives him. Right, and he says, "Look, this this why should anyone die this day?" Right, Mephibosheth comes out of the city, and note that he's unkempt since the day David left. Yeah, and what he says is, "You know, Ziba left me behind. Right, he took my donkey. Yeah, what what was I supposed to do?" And you can by him being unkempt, no one's taking care of him. Right. And so it doesn't look like he was kind of on the inside with people taking care of him, ready to restore. He was just left behind. It's interesting that David doesn't try to resolve who was right. No. He just splits Saul's inheritance between Ziba and Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth says, all I need is your presence. That's right. And we we take that to us, right? When, When God says, I forgive your sin, you're restored. Do we say, great, thanks for my stuff? Right. Or do we say, all I need is your presence? Yeah. Right, the stuff won't Oh, matter. let him take it all, meaning the land, right. since my Lord, the king, has come safely home. Right. I mean, that, and is, is that our highest priority? Is it, it's, it, which is the flip side of the sin thing. Is our greatest concern in our sin that we've offended God or that we're going to get bad consequences? Right. Right. And here, you know, are, we, are we satisfied with God's restoration of our stuff, yeah. or do we need the presence of our Lord? And I, I, again, that's a that's a uh, 
it just it just speaks so loudly, right? And then he's got a, and then an older man comes and and you know, he has obviously been taking care of David on the run, and he's very old. And, he, and David says, "Come live with me in Jerusalem." He says, "No, but take my younger man, so so he can uh, so he can serve." And then David establishes his rule in Jerusalem and puts Amasa, who was the head of um, Absalom's army, in charge over Joab. Hmm. And that doesn't seem to sit very well with Joab. No, nor would we not, expect it to. It does not seem to sit very well with Joab. So um, another rebellion arises, and David sends Amasa out with the troops, but he doesn't return. So you're kind of wondering what's, what's going on. So uh, David uh, takes Joab's brother, Abishai, to quell the rebellion. In the meantime, Joab went and found Amasa and killed him. Because he was a traitor, and this was again, this is Joab dealing Joab's justice, right? Right, which goes back yep. to Joab has a pursuit, has an understanding, but it often serves his purposes, right? Often serves his purposes, and then Joab and Abishai pursue the rebel to a town. They meet a wise woman, and she says, yeah, "Why would you destroy this town over the sky?" And so they said, "We just need." You know the, the rebel's head, and so she goes, convinces the town elders. They throw his head over the wall, and everything goes back and returns to normal. Mm-hmm. And Joab is appointed over the army of Israel again. Yeah, and so now we're up to, to chapter twenty-one. And this, when I read this, it really and this and this is the first time it hit me in reading in reading this, but it, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. What those opening words are in chapter twenty-one, if I can get there quick enough. Yeah. Um, now, there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year, and David sought the face of the Lord. In We've been every, missing something. In everything we've talked about up till now, right? He's never sought the face of the Lord. And we remember his successes back in the first few chapters, right, of, of, this, of this book. David he was inquired, inquired of, of the Lord. Lord. And inquired of the Lord and inquired. And this is the first place. And it took three years of famine. To drive him home. Mm-hmm. Took three years of famine to drive him home. Yeah, it's sad that we have to often come to the end of ourself and our resources before we'll turn to God. That's right. And and this is a literal example, an actual example of that, right? He's down, he's down, you know, what is going on? And it turns out there's blood guilt, yeah. right, for Saul's treatment yeah. of Gibeon. By the way, God has something to, to, to say. He has right. something for David to do. Do. That's exactly right, to, to see where the day will be. And it's interesting. David does, does and, he, and the Gibeonites demand seven of Saul's sons. And he and he spares Mephibosheth, right, because of his oath, and and gives the, gives the sons, and they're put to death. And it's the beginning, and it's interesting, right? They were put to death on the first days of harvest at the beginning of the barley harvest, right? That's the end of the first chapter of Ruth. Yeah, exactly. Right, and we remember that's the very first harvest, and so it it, it brings a time of hope. Yes. Right, yeah. there's now a time of hope. Now that this blood guilt is off the land of Israel, there's now a time of hope. And then David even honors Saul, though, right? Goes and gets Saul's bones and Jonathan's bones and his son's bones and buries them together in the land of Benjamin. Mm-hmm. So in the honor-shame culture, right, he, he restores their honor. Yeah. He restores their honor. Yeah, you get the sense that David is, is trying to restore, redeem, make right what he can. Right. And he doesn't always do it, you know, in the, the wisest of ways, but he's certainly at this point trying to, to be a peacemaker in some senses of, you know, Pulling people back in and together and honoring past commitments, right? And and he seems to try. I mean, I think putting a mass over the military, right, was an was an act to try and yeah. unify. 
Yeah. You know, look, okay, I've accepted Didn't end it. well, but, Didn't, yeah. but that was his, his intent. Right. And so, right, and then they, then in the last few verses, right, there's war with the Philistines. As we said, the Philistines really don't have the same bite they used to. No. And so there's just, you know, and so they're very successful against the Philistines and kill four giants. And that's really the end of the narrative. Yeah. That's really the end of the narrative. Princess Bride fans out there, the six-fingered man that's appears. Exactly, exactly appears here in here Verse in 20 of chapter 21. And, and as we said, chapters 22 through 24, I kind of classify with the, with the Psalms. And when you read, as you said, kind of the first lines of this, right? The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold and my refuge. My Savior, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of shield entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. To my God, I called from the temple. He heard my voice and my cry in my ears. Thus the earth rocked and reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went from his nostrils and he devoured fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him, right? He bowed the heavens and came down. Echoes of Jesus. Right? Absolutely. Right. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode a cherub and flew, and he saw was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him, his canopy, thick clouds and gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. Right. Very revelation-like imagery. <laughs> yeah, right? true. Then the Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, sent out his arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. The channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the earth were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord and the blast of his nostrils. Right. That, that God came and rescued me. Mm-hmm. God came and, and he will come for his people. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He will yeah you see, you know, this is one of the best Psalms, not in the Psalms. That's exactly right. That's and so exactly I think right. a lot of people miss it, but you see David here, the, that warrior poet, you know, I mean, just, just in full force. Oh, absolutely. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With yeah. the blameless man, you show yourself blameless, right? With the purified, you deal purely. With the crooked, you make yourself seem tortured, right? That you save a humble people. Mm-hmm. You save a humble people. Yeah. And and that's what you kind of wonder, especially with this pandemic that we're in, how humble were or are we? Yeah. Because you know, we believe science will save us. Hmm. What's interesting is if you watch the news conferences, we still think science will save us. <laughs> that's right. right we we're, waiting. We're, we're waiting. And we're now growing impatient. For, uh, that science hasn't saved us yet. Yes. Right. That there's not a vaccine. That right. there's not, you know, w- right. w- yes. And science will not save us. Never. Jesus will save us. Now, yes. does the word does the Lord work through science? Absolutely. Has He given us miraculous things? Right. Yes. As we said last week, I have two special needs boys, and they would not be either alive or walking without the the medical technologies that were available when they were born. Yeah. And praise be to God that they were. But that's not their salvation. Yeah. Their salvation's found alone in Christ. That's right. And with God's help, you know, Eugene Peterson's commentary on David's life is called. Uh, leap over a wall, and it comes from 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 this song. For by you I can run against a troop or an army, and by my God I can leap over a wall. Wow! You know, wow. not talking about his Air Jordan esque <laughs> right, abilities, right. but the idea that man, with God's help, you know, you can do more than you dreamed possible yourself. Right. Right. You know that when when God is with you and for you, then he he works in powerful ways. Right. And you know, there were times in David's life when when he sensed that. Absolutely. Yeah, he, he won't outstrip his capabilities. Yeah. He might outstrip yours. That's right. But he's not going to outstrip his yeah. capabilities. But he begins and ends with praise. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. 
Amen. So what's really interesting is the book of Samuel, First and Second Samuel, remember, it begins with Hannah's song. Right. And it ends with David's. David's. Yeah. And so just brilliant, you know, the, the, yeah. the, the lasting and final kind of images of David we have is, is that of, of worshiper. Yeah. And again, the theme of covenant. Yeah. Because our temptation, as we've said repeatedly, is to say the story's about David, but right. it's not. Right. You know, the hero is God. Right. Uh, David is the actor that God is 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 working with, but but the reality is that the hero is God. Right. When you go back to Job, right? Job was about God's sovereignty. This is about God's sovereignty. He's yeah. sovereignty over the will of man. He's sovereignty over the sin of man. Yep. And he's sovereignty over the faith of man. Yeah. Right. But it's all about God's sovereignty. Hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, so as as we wrap up, there's a little bit, you know, about David's mighty men that's paralleled in First Chronicles eleven. I love love that yeah. story in First Chronicles eleven about his his men and their loyalty to David. We get the story, of course, of of the census uh, that David takes, and um, you know, but that really wraps up uh, right. for the most part the, the story. We'll get his his death, of course, in First Kings. But you know, if we think about a summary of of the book of Samuel that we've been in for the past five weeks, there's there's we really zoom out to a high level. We have to ask our question, Brian, where, where is hope found? Is yeah. it, is it in these leaders and Kings and military leaders? Is that where our hope is? Right. Or, or in their strategies? Right. Right. Or in their abilities? Yeah. And the answer is no. No. Right. It, 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 and it's amazing how hopeless it becomes how, and how quickly it becomes that hopeless. Yeah. And a lot of times we'll still follow even knowing it's hopeless. That's right. Yeah. That's the, that's the great tragedy. Yeah, we blind hope sometimes, right. you know, um, because you know what we're looking for is 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 a savior. We need someone to rescue us. That's right. And so we look to men. But but hope is not found in a man. It's found in Israel's God. That's right. That's that's Amen. what the writer is trying to help us see. Right. You know. And and how does God bring this hope? Well, you know, He brings it through His servants. But ultimately, and and even in these last and final words and songs of David, right? There's hints and hopes of of the greater David to come. Right. And so in chapter uh, twenty three. Uh, verses uh, three and four. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on Mm. them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Amen. When David was aligned with God's purposes, he was that kind of leader. Absolutely. But that was only a taste of what was to come. The prophet Isaiah would pick up on that theme, right, of the the light dawning, speaking of the Messiah that was to come. He reached back for these themes and then pulled them forward. And, of Mm. course, that was the coming of Christ. So the moral of the story is we're all searching for a king. Right. (laughs) We need somebody to save us from the Philistines around us. We need people to say we need a king to save us from ourselves, right, Right. from our own families sometimes. I mean, you know, it's just rich. But but where this leaves us, instead of saying, Oh man, David was the man. Right. This leaves us longing for for a Messiah. That's right, that's right, and 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 that's what is to come, and that's what each of these as we as we continue to go through the prophets, as we continue to go through the other historical books, we we will see that longing just yeah. intensify, huh. right? And that, that's what you get. And as we read the right, Chronicles and Kings and as and and and, and Jeremiah, right, and, and you you get this longing. This longing for things to be set right, this longing, it, and it's almost a dichotomy where there's this real, there's this intense realization of how broken it is, and this intense longing for how it should be. That's right, right. And this is the beginnings. We see these yeah. early chapters of, of Scripture, the beginnings of that split. Right. And it just as we said, it's ironic because a lot of this is presented as kind of a, an apologist version for the monarchy and why it was so important in Israel. 
But yet for all of us who are on this side of the covenant, you know, looking back on it, we realize that, that this, this, you know, draws out that longing, That's right. you know, between the now and the not yet, the fact that God has made his promise, you know, and, and yet that promise is yet to be fully filled yep. and it'll be, you know, ultimately in history fulfilled in Jesus. But then we live in the now and not yet too. that tension of his kingdom rule has begun, but it is not consummated. It's not complete. And so we say, come Lord Jesus. Amen. And we see those glimpses of heaven. Yeah. Right? Just every once in a while we get those glimpses, but we see through a veil darkly. That's right. What we will meet face to face. That's good. Praise be to God. Amen. Well, any last thoughts, Brian? I'm good. This was a lot of fun. This yeah. was a fun semester. Fun, fun. And thank you for letting me teach. Thanks yeah. for thanks for this. This. I mean, this has just been tremendous. Yeah. It's. I guess I'm because you and I, as we've talked about, we've been through these books many times. But it's amazing how the Lord and the Spirit continues to enlighten things yeah. that you just didn't even put together, didn't realize, didn't it didn't speak for whatever reason. Yeah. And the Spirit continues to make things new. Yeah, so we're praying for you as you read through the Bible this year with us that you're seeing those same themes. You're seeing it in a new, fresh way. And we'll be back with you in a couple of weeks uh, to to just kind of help frame up and keep us moving through the summer uh, before we we come back strong in the fall. So with that, let me close us uh, with a word of prayer. And uh, with that, let me pray some of the words of the 51st Psalm. Mm. So God, would you have mercy on us according to your steadfast love? God, according to your abundant mercy, would you blot out our transgressions? Would you wash us from our iniquities? And would you cleanse us from our sins? Amen. Father, would you create a clean heart in us and renew a right spirit within us? Don't cast us away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of our salvation Mm. and uphold uphold us with your willing spirit so that we can teach others your ways. So, Father, thank you for the power of the story of David. God, thank you for the way that your word works in our hearts and in our lives. And teach us to long for Jesus who fills us and completes us and makes us whole. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.